Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 102, Gareth Shaw Strengthens His Leadership Playbook. Here's a shout out to listeners in Michigan, in the cities of Rochester, Royal Oak, Three Rivers, Traverse City, West Bloomfield, and Wyoming. With that, let's get started. Regardless if it's with a business, a team, a process, or a bicycle, preferably a mountain bicycle, Gareth Shaw is passionate about building and optimizing performance. As he later explains, he'll watch how someone goes around a corner on a mountain bicycle and will figure out how to replicate that rider's speed so that he can do it too. He is the president for UK and Europe for a company called DocCare, spelled D-O-C-E-R-E-E. His company enables programmatic marketing to physicians. Before DocCare, Gareth worked at PulsePoint, Yahoo, and Experian. He currently lives in Buckinghamshire, just about 50 miles outside of London. Part 1. Work, Luck, and Truths About Organizations In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about five levels of leadership. In the book, he describes what it's like to be at level five. And here's a quotation actually from the book on page 35. Level five leaders look out the window to apportion credit to factors outside of themselves when things go well. And put some parentheses. And if they cannot find a specific person or event to give credit to, they credit good luck. At the same time, they look in the mirror to apportion responsibility, never blaming bad luck when things go poorly. This leads to this next story that Gareth shares with us, in which he talks about luck, and I bring up the relationship between luck and being an entrepreneur. Here's Gareth to explain. I've kind of got two reasonably famous quotes, I think, have really rung true for me over my even pre-career and throughout my career, my leadership journey. And the, the first one, I think, is a Gary Player quote, and that's the harder you work, the luckier you get. I picked that up when I was playing sport. I never really played any team sports until I was at university. And then I played ultimate frisbee and I got quite good at it. And I played for the university and then I played for a top UK club. Then I played for Great Britain and spent about 10 years going around the world being quite good at a very niche fringe sport. But I really appreciated that quote. The harder you work, the luckier you get. The more effort you put in, whether it's practice, whether it's in the gym, whether it's learning the plays, the more lucky catches, the more being in the right place at the right time, you know, that making your own look. I really caught hold of that. It really inspired me as I was going through university and sort of starting my professional life. And when I started my first jobs as an individual contributor, I kind of embraced that ethos. Of just get your head down, work hard, do your job and everything else will follow. Even now, it's just a great mantra to live by. I stumbled into a leadership role. I'll come on to that in more detail a little later on. As I got more and more into leadership, what I realized with the harder you work, the look you get is great for doing things if you're an individual contributor. If you're a leader, the higher up the totem pole you go, the less you do things and the more your job becomes to think, to organize, to inspire, to motivate. So a second quote is the Peter Drucker quote. The only three things that happen naturally in organizations are friction, confusion, and the performance. Everything else requires leadership. 
that really reminds me every time where I'm either, you know, got imposter syndrome because I don't do any real work. I don't think I do any real work anymore or, you know, there's a challenge at work. That reminds me that the job of the leader is to solve that challenge. So I've almost changed the Gary Player quote. It's more like a Gareth Shaw quote now. You know, almost like the smarter you work, the luckier you get or the more I learn, the luckier I become. So I still embrace that work hard and luck will follow. But I've realized it's about learning and just being smart and not necessarily working harder. Because I think working harder has transition to management. And if you want to break out of being a manager to a leader, that working hard mentality leads down a, a dangerous rabbit hole of like micromanagement and things like that. I think it's more of a case of be smarter, learn more, put more tools in your toolbox, and that will create the look as, as you go through that leadership journey. Those are some powerful quotations. And the first one resonates with me because it exposes the entrepreneurial myth that if you put out there the work that you do, then all of a sudden things will start happening. It'll be great. You'll get lucky on some things and and less on others, but that's just not the reality of it is that if you're an entrepreneur, you have to work really hard. But I like the concept of the harder you work, the luckier you get. I like how you phrased that a little differently is that the harder you work, there are more opportunities that you become more aware of. So there's some type of a relationship between those two concepts. Yeah, definitely. You'll never replace hard work, but it's like you're swimming in the sea. You need to get your head above the waves to see where you're going. And I think the more and more you, you become a leader, the more and more your job is to have your head above the waves. Yeah, you've got to paddle as well and you're going to lead by example, but you're responsible for that direction and you need to kind of cover both bases. Now, Peter Drucker is amazing. Lisa Wicker, who was on the show previously, she actually worked with him. Oh, wow. Very jealous. Yeah, it's an impressive story that she actually tells on her episode. I love this friction, confusion. And the third was performance. Underperformance. Underperform. Oh, yes, that is so Peter Drucker. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about truths. There's uh, th- That's what's going to happen. You get people together. There's going to be friction. The communication is, according to Gary Rumbler, probably the largest barrier to performance. And friction, confusion adds to underperformance. Makes perfect sense. There's a great quote. I think embracing that quote or that mantra, one of the differences, there are many between a leader and, and a manager and also... You know, it is challenging. You know, show me an organization where they don't think communication is a problem. Show me an organization where they think they cracked it. And even the ones that are the best in the world are always looking for ways to improve. And I think it just grounds you in the challenge of leadership is to overcome challenges. And that's part of the job. If I'm ever interviewing anyone or talking to anyone around career development, a question I'll always ask them is, what gives you that buzz at work? What's that thing, you know, where you, you have the best day ever at work, you come up from work, you're on cloud nine, you feel like a million dollars. What was that thing that happened? What's the thing you enjoy most about your job? And that solving those challenges is the bit I really enjoy. And sometimes it works hard, it's stressful. You can look at it through a sort of very negative glasses, half empty mindset. It can get you down. And if you just pull that quote out and flip it around, it'd be like, well, actually, it's meant to be hard. You know, it's meant to be difficult. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. You know, the, the reason why not everyone's an entrepreneur is it's a very difficult, hard road to go down. And that quote always reminds me, it's like, oh, right, this is what you enjoy. Getting your head down and solving these problems or what make you feel like a million dollars, you know, and make you kind of skip home with a spring in your step. Part two, 
Leadership Lifelines. Of the seven leadership principles I discovered in my research, the seventh one, develop leadership practices continuously, has a great deal to do with this next story. To be effective at leadership, you need to continuously focus on developing how you lead. And the approach that I describe is simply called learn, do, assess. If you go into management and you don't learn about leadership, then you're relying on trial and error to figure things out in your gut feeling. It doesn't work too well, but if it does, it takes a long time. You can accelerate that process by learning about leadership, then trying it out, and then assessing how well you did with what you tried. Gareth describes something called leadership lifelines, which has something to do with learning leadership. Again, here's Gareth. I had a number of roles at Yahoo, and then I went and worked a big data company, Experian, and then I went back to Yahoo, and I had all these different roles. I was an individual contributor. I was quite successful at the different jobs I was doing. My career aspiration was I wanted to be a manager, but I didn't really know much about being a manager. Consequently, I think because I was good at being an individual contributor, and looking back on it, I was quite naive about what a manager was, and I never got the opportunity to do that. And then I joined the company I was at previous to where I am now, previous to Docket, and really was lucky. I came in as an individual contributor, and then um, one of the, the sales director left, and I inherited the two people that worked in that team. And then very shortly after that, the managing director of the UK and Europe, who was my boss, left, and I got thrown into the deep end of running the region for a US startup. Very quickly went from an individual contributor, very kind of confident, kind of good at my job, hitting my numbers, to being managing a team, being responsible for strategy, strategic planning as well as execution. I kind of made every mistake <laughs> you could kind of make. The beauty of a setting a good strategy is choosing the things not to do. Well, I, I didn't know that. So I had like wildly ambitious strategies. I remember doing my strategy for the following year after year one, and I pulled out my strategy from the previous year. And I was like, I oh, know, like, I haven't done any of this. I hope no one's going to come back on me on this. I've just been in reaction mode. And we'd had an okay year. But yeah, I've been reacting to everything. I hadn't given up you know, my kind of old responsibilities. It's not that I didn't trust my team. You know, I had a great team. I, you know, I really got on with everyone very well personally. I was doing that textbook, not giving up my individual contributor responsibility. I wanted to be involved with everything. I thought I needed to be involved to make things happen. Consequently, I was chasing my tail. We were reacting to everything. I was getting really stressed out. I was starting to feel a bit burnt out. So well, this, this is what being the manager's like. I'm not sure I really want to do it. It's just really difficult and stressful and hard. As a person, I'm, I'm quite competitive. I'm quite goal or results orientated. I also didn't want to fail. I really wanted to succeed. I was painfully aware that I had a team of people around me that were, they're individuals, they're people, they all have feelings and aspirations and things they want to get out of life and their job and their career. And that my mood and stress was going to become infectious. If I'm not having fun, it won't be long before they're not having fun. Then everything, you know, everything goes south in terms of performance. I kind of got phoned several lifelines. It was a little bit like serendipity. A few things happened at once. So my wife had been encouraging me strongly to read a certain book. So at this point in my life, I'd read the odd novel when I was on holiday and things like that. I wasn't a very big reader. My wife was encouraging me to read a book. The basic premise was do less, get more. I started reading that. At the same time, I went to a strategic offsite. My CEO at the time set a reading assignment with another couple of really good books. And then I suddenly discovered the hack. I'm not the world's biggest reader. I don't read very fast. 
I love podcasts and I love Audible. And I suddenly discovered Audible that I didn't need to read these books. I stick them on Audible and go for a bike ride. I'm a big cyclist. So I just uh, stick one headphone in, devour a book in no time at all. At the same time as well, when we went to the offsite that I'd done the reading assignment for, I got access to some executive coaches that my former company had just hired, got sort of helping with process and things like that. And I went from kind of running around being really reactionary and feeling really stressed out to suddenly given access to all this knowledge and basically tools and tips and tricks and hacks, call them whatever you will. And I was like, oh, this is how management works. This is how you do it. I'm like a puzzler. I really enjoy puzzling around. If I see anyone doing anything, for instance, I like mountain biking. If I see someone go through a corner really, really fast, there's a way of going through that corner really fast. I just need to work out how they're doing it. And I suddenly had that epiphany with work. There's ways of doing things. You see all these great leaders that you know, are really happy. They've got a string in their step. You know, Their teams love them. There's a method here. And I started just devouring books I definitely got the company's money's worth out of the executive coaches. One of the most powerful discussions I kind of remember with talking to those coaches was I sort of described like, hey, I'm really new to this. You know, there's people around the senior leadership team table that have been here a lot longer than me. And some of this stuff, they're poo-pooing it. And some of this stuff is being challenged. And I kind of love it all. Should I be challenging it more? What they said to me is had a lasting effect, but it was you do your best work when you're out of your comfort zone. As soon as you're not comfortable, you know, you become on alert. It's like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So I need to learn as fast as possible. I need to take quick steps where if I do make a mistake, I can quickly pivot. You know, the, the cliche, fail fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was suddenly like, oh, that's me. I'm in that kind of mode. Of, this is all new. I'm loving it. I was just taking little bits here and here and experimenting with it. And, you know, I'll use this tool here and this meeting cadence. And it turned all the parts of my role that were stressing me out suddenly became exciting. And I think it goes back to that Peter Drucker quote. I've been caught in that whirlwind of underperformance, confusion and friction and wanting to tear my hair out to suddenly like oh wait this is the job there's a million different authors and tools and things out there and as long as you pick one that's been proven to work the only thing you need to do is pick something and be consistent with it or, or as what i like to do is cherry pick you know little things and kind of almost build my own playbook for the situation my real light bulb moment was the aspect of leadership of setting a vision and being enthusiastic and passionate about what you're doing if you have a strong vision for, you know, not what you do or how you do it, but why you're doing it and why you're coming to work and what's in it for you as the individual and the people that work for you, and you become passionate about that and you have enthusiasm, you can then spread that enthusiasm throughout your team. You can invite people in to help create the strategic vision or improve the strategic vision, really get people to buy into it. The intern in the room can challenge the highest paid person in the room. And, you know, then we can have a debate because a good idea is a good idea. Get that vision, invite people to contribute to it, and then, you know, lock it down, carve it up and give it away. I went from being the guy that was trying to do everything on my own and getting in people's way and stressing myself out to suddenly, you know, being the guy that spent a lot of time on where are we now, where do we want to be? And then getting people vested into that kind of idea of the journey we're going to go on and then just carving it up handing it to people and saying, right, you're the best person in our organization to own this. I'm really confident giving it to you. Use me as a resource. Come to me when you've got challenges or problems or you need me to bounce ideas or things like that. But I'm going to get out of your way. It's not your job to necessarily motivate people. It's your job to find people who are motivated by what you do already and then put them in an environment where they can be successful. And that's something I kind of really hold true.
I live and work in a developed country in a knowledge industry. But I think if you work in a, a knowledge industry, if they don't like your job, you don't have to do it. Find something that you know you're passionate about, especially in the startup world. If you're not passionate about what your company is trying to achieve, you'll never be able to invest enough energy and passion into it. So find something that resonates with you, find other people that it resonates with, and then just create an environment where those people can be successful. When you started working at that one company and you went from an individual contributor to managing two people to running a district and moving up that fast, that is a huge transition, especially when you're in a smaller company that's starting up, that's getting ramped up because there's not a lot of history to tap into. The tendency that you pointed out is that when you move to management, there's a tendency to rely on what you're comfortable with, and that's doing individual contributor work and not relying on the people around you to do that work, or they're doing their work, but instead of you giving it to them, you're taking on part of it as well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> if there's anyone that's just starting out in leadership, I'd very much like people to learn from my mistakes. I really am passionate about everything that I did wrong, I'm trying to share as much of that as possible so people can kind of cut out <laughs> the 12 months I had where I wasn't feeling so great about my role and get into the seven or eight years after that where I do feel great about it and I do love my job. When you're in management and you're trying to apply leadership to your role, I think one of the messages that you have is it's not intuitive. It's not something that is a natural transition to being able to do. It's something that you have to learn to do. One element of learning is allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. That's where the learning really occurs. It's not to the point where you're devastated. You know, you're so far outside of your comfort zone that you, you can't make the transition. But if you can push yourself to learning just outside of your comfort zone, that's when real growth can happen. Exactly that. And certainly my experience is I had to learn it. I'm 40 now, and I think I probably started to scratch away the surface of this as I was coming into my 30s. And that was developing a true open mindset or a growth mindset, ah. becoming comfortable outside your comfort zone. And I've got a couple of young kids and it's becoming apparent there's like so much stuff I want to teach my kids. If you'd ask me, what's the one thing you want your kids to kind of remember or do? I really want to encourage this, an open mindset, the attribute of learnability. Because I think particularly like everything's changing so fast with technology how quickly things are happening in the healthcare industry which my company is in at the moment even in my career you know the next sort of 20 years or so my ability to learn new things and then unlearn them then relearn as technology and workplace practices change is going to be crucial and then I think about my kids how quickly things are probably going to change for those guys and they just need to be very comfortable like okay I've learned something this is great I can be really successful but you know the reality is it's probably not going to last forever and you're either going to have to unlearn it or just keep adding to that kind of skill set and constantly I think it's Henry Ford that said it but he said it's about age is just being a number and as long as you keep learning you'll never get old and you only become old when you stop learning and I think that really rings true because as soon as you get stuck into a mindset, that's when you become the person that likes saying no to ideas because they challenge your comfort zone. You don't want to step outside of that. Whereas if you're always, no, that, I, want, I can learn here. That's a good idea. Let's try it. Let's fail fast or, or come up with the next big thing. That constant striving to be outside your comfort zone, I don't think you can kind of beat that. A previous guest said, Ty Bennett, 
it's this. You said, it's not my job in management to motivate you. It's my job to put you in an environment where you can thrive to be at your best and excel and take that with what you just said as technology changes, as the environment changes around us, positioning the people that work for us to being able to adapt is so critical. It's not just, hey, motivation, you can do it. I know you can do it, but you set them up right. Exactly that. To use my puzzler analogy again, it's tools, resource, capital, people. You have all this kind of stuff. Your job as a leader to kind of arrange those puzzle pieces to create the picture or build the tower. And in doing so, you know, you need to be very conscious of the people in that mix, their feelings, their emotions, their, their own aspirations. And if you can tie your success and the company's vision to their success and then motivate them, that's how you'll, you'll really get them to come in and develop and embrace that, you know, open mindset they really need. It's a really good book I read recently called The Attributes, a guy named Rich Delaney. I think it's an ex-Navy SEAL. And he was saying that anyone can be taught a skill. Whether you want to be taught or not, you can kind of force someone to learn a skill. But once you scrape back further, everyone has hardwired attributes. Some people are hard workers. Some people are creative thinkers. He gives a list of, sort of 24 or 25. It's hardwired, but you can change it. To learn a skill is easy. To change an attribute requires a higher level of self-awareness and a real hunger to want to change. That's the thing you really need to sort of tap in with people. If you really want to develop yourself or anyone in your team, is you have to kind of tap into, well, what are they really good at? Not necessarily what their weakness is, but where are the areas where they need to be stronger to take that next level? And is that something they can just be taught as a skill or be, you know, give them the experience? Financial training for non-professionals is a great course for anyone that wants to get further up into leadership. That's a skill. You can kind of learn that. But, you know, some of the attributes, for instance, for me, um, I definitely talk too much. I need to be a better listener. And that's an attribute that I really need to concentrate and think about. I'm very open with people in my team about, you know, I'm kind of wired this way to talk a lot. Sometimes I talk over the top of people. I don't want to do it. If you ever catch me doing that, call me out on the behavior because I'll recognize it straight away. And I'll actually thank you for doing it. Find that motivation where people want to get to and then help them understand how they get there. And if they've got the hunger and the drive to do it, you're just there to help and give them the tools and advice. The point we made, you're not there to motivate them. You're there to help them achieve something that they want to do, not you're telling them to do it. Part three, embrace growth. In part two, and in a couple of minutes, Garrett talks about something called growth mindset. A mindset is a set of conscious or unconscious beliefs that affects how you think about your abilities, how you behave, and how you affect others around you. With a growth mindset, you think and act to some extent as if you can develop and improve your IQ, EQ, traits, abilities, and competencies. With this mindset, you believe that adults can continue to grow. In the show notes, I provide a link to an article I wrote about growth and fixed mindsets where you can learn a little bit more about this. Later, I'll have an episode that's dedicated to explaining these two concepts. With that in mind, Gareth advises us on how we can improve our leadership. Here's Gareth. Number one, build an open growth mindset. Always be learning and work on your, your learnability attribute. And to dig a little bit deeper into that, I would say embrace radical candor. 
anyone that works for you, give them radical candor with care. If there's something happening that's not good or it's annoying you or it's not it's not driving performance, tell them outright. People can't change the way they behave or what they're doing unless they know they're doing it. I would say make sure when you're doing that, set it up as a two-way street. Hey, whenever you're you know exhibiting a behavior or you're doing something and it's not right, I tell you from a good place to help make you better. And I want you to do the same to me. Solicit feedback wherever you can. Treat all feedback as a gift. Whenever someone does give you some feedback, thank them for the feedback. Don't respond. Say thank you very much. Think about it and digest it. Because whether you agree with it or not, you know, it might be something you agree with and you're like, right, cool, I'm gonna work on that. But even if you don't agree with it, that's the perception you're giving to another person. So whether you think it's happening or not, that person thinks it's happening. So it's it's a problem either way. So, you know, you need to interrogate what's going on there. And if it's something you want to change and you don't want to have that perception, how can you go about changing it? Ed Gash, in another previous episode, he would call radical candor kindness yep. versus being nice. Being nice is you don't say something that would embarrass the other person. You don't try to help that other person deal with something they're doing that's difficult. Instead, you talk about the person behind their back. Kindness is when you do just what you described as radical candor, where you really give the person an opportunity to grow. And I like how you've taken another concept, which I associate with Marshall Goldsmith, it's called thank you. Someone says something, you thank them for doing that and encourage them to do it some more and be open to that kind of growth. Definitely. You know, I think the definition of sort of, you know, just that you're using there is, is really insincere and, and shallow. And you know, like you say, it's, it's people who do that go away and talk behind their back. You know, the worst thing that can happen is you think you're doing a great job for a quarter or a year and you have an appraisal and then your manager tells you all the things you didn't do and why you're not going to get a bonus or you're not getting a pay rise. And you have no opportunity to do things differently if you just know. That old saying, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. There's a lot of situations where a lack of candor, that rings true. My thanks to Gareth Shaw. If you'd like to learn more about Gareth, go to the show notes. If you have a question or comment, go to unlabelleadership.com, click the message icon, and leave a voicemail message for up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who contribute to the show. Your contributions makes a difference because this is an all-volunteer service. Lastly, I'd like to thank you for listening. This is Gary DePaul. Until next time, lead on.